Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Anybody excited to be in church on a Sunday morning? It is an incredible honor to be here today and for the first time for me in this new Irvine location. I remember our moments in January together. We were declaring a new thing out of Isaiah 43, and how many people are grateful we're standing in the new thing already. This is so, so powerful, so special. Well, before we go any further, Lindsay and I could not have any more love, respect, esteem, appreciation for our senior leaders, your senior leaders. Can we give it up for Pastor Mark and Rochelle? Such a powerful couple, such a gift to this city, to this region. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the gift of relationship, and thank you guys for being an amazing part of, of Angel House. You know, one day we have to invite you to come and see these homes physically, because there's really nothing like journeying to the dedication ceremony. Uh, these homes are literally being built in the absolute most uh, despondent, impoverished areas. These are literally the nicest building uh, in the region by a multiplier. Most of the laborers in these communities are making $2 a day, working all day. And, uh, and these are beacons of hope and new beginnings for these kids that have been literally forgotten. Thank you for standing with us. And of course, thank you also for standing with us in Los Angeles for, that, for the incredible year-long movement. Of course, the, the week of service, the day of service, and then the stadium event. And to be able to stand in that stadium and feel the best that entertainment could offer and then all of a sudden, when everything shifted and the, and the stadium felt the power and presence of God, we will not forget it. It was so special. Well, you guys are looking great this morning. The extra hour is doing you a favor. Turn to your neighbor. Say this after me. Say, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best looking person at Ocean's Church. Everybody knows the best looking people are here in Orange County. With or without the Botox. Find one more person and say, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best dressed person in church. How many people are hungry for God's word this morning? We're going to dive in. For Samuel 17, 17, we're going to go to a very familiar, perhaps most loved passage of scripture in the Old Testament. First Samuel 17, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout, his usual taunt to the army of Israel. His usual taunt. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from California state taxes. 
I mean, from California, from, his, from Israel, Texas. David asked the, the soldiers standing nearby, what will the man get for killing this Philistine, ending his defiance of Israel? And who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? The title of my message this morning is, This Changes Everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It's never entered the heart of humanity, what you have prepared for this moment, for the people in this room, for the people watching on this November, Sunday of, of 2022. I thank you that you'd speak a specific and direct word to each and every life. Father, may we feel your heart and may we comprehend what you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody shout it. This loved story begins in a pretty incredible way. Of course, David's father, Jesse, gives him a routine assignment. He says, I want you to leave the sheep with another shepherd, gather the supplies, and go to the battlefield. Give me a report on how the army, and specifically your brothers are doing, bring these refreshments with you. So David gathers the supplies, leaves his home, and goes to the encampment where the armies of Israel have gathered. And really, David approaches the scene at just the right moment because this is the Super Bowl locker room moment. This is the pre-war huddle. This is everybody getting their mindset prepared for battle. And the scripture says that the armies of Israel had gathered and they were releasing shouts and battle cries. Imagine them jumping up and down. Imagine them shaking each other. Imagine them screaming at the top of their lungs, this battle is ours, we have got this. And the Bible says that David follows them from the army encampment all the way to the, battle to the battlefield and hears and witnesses their shouts and battle cries. Then as he finally identifies his brother, a Philistine champion emerges, and the Bible says begins to, shaunt his, begins to shout his usual taunt. Wow. Notice there's no new threats made. Yes. There is no sword drawn. There is no physical advancement from the enemy. Simply insults coming from this giant. And the Bible says the same men who are jumping and shouting and getting ready for war began to run away in fright. Now David's processing this scene, trying to comprehend all of what he's taking in. Maybe first tries to give the people of Israel, the, the warriors of Israel, the benefit of the doubt. So he starts to ask questions because maybe he wasn't tracking right. So he starts by, by asking about the giant. He says, now let's, let, let's be clear. Uh, whoever kills this giant, let's talk about the reward. They'll get tax-free living for them and their family and the king's daughter's hand in marriage? Do you know it's appropriate to consider the reward on the other side of your battle? Because behind big battles are always big rewards. And I believe gathered here today are people that are facing challenges, pressure, and resistance to not just life in general, but specifically to your purpose, to your call, and to the place that God wants to take you. And there is a reward of promises fulfilled, destiny complete, purpose unleashed, for you not backing down, but pressing into the resistance ahead of you. 
Behind big battles are always big rewards. There is a reward on the other side of the struggle. And so David takes a moment to ask about the reward, to consider the reward on the other side of the challenge. The next thing he asks about is what this giant is talking about. And notice he doesn't say, how dare this Philistine speak against my God? He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, how dare this Philistine speak against the armies of God? Apparently, David has such a high view of God's people. This statement gives us a window into his perspective of the capacity of God's people. And he is blown away. He is astonished by Israelites' lack of awareness. How do they not know who they are? How do they not know whose they are? How did they let these circumstances cause them to forget? See, we have to be careful when uncertain challenges come, when pressure comes, when resistance emerges, when adversity emerges, to not let those circumstances cause us to forget. David's thinking to himself, God's provision is not contingent. God's protection is not contingent. Our authority, our fearlessness, our confidence is not contingent. It is certain. It is unchanging. Why are the people of Israel freaking out? Why are they forgetting? David has no choice in that moment but to conclude it's an injustice. Whenever we're confronted with injustice, there's two possible postures. The first is to acknowledge the injustice and then do everything in our strength to ignore it and act like it isn't there and go on with our life. The second posture is to acknowledge the injustice and refuse to coexist with it. But instead, allow our soul to be stirred. Allow our spirit to be agitated until it provokes us to take a stand and do something about it. Even as we're gathered in church, November 2021, there are injustices all around us. There are injustices in our city, in our nation, and across the globe. I do believe, though, we need to be careful not to take the bait in the culture war. Not to allow our soul to remain troubled about things that aren't most sincere and significant to the heart of the Father. I'm not going to be agitated by CNN or Fox News. I'm not going to be agitated by people on social media giving me their opinions. I'm not going to be agitated by notes being sent to me on text threads. I'm going to go to the scriptures and say, Lord, what is most significant to your heart? Because that's where I'm going to be preoccupied. That's where I'm going to be consumed. Do you know, as we're gathered today, there's 1.5 billion people who've never heard the gospel. That's an injustice. Do you know, as we're gathered today, there are millions of orphan children sleeping, even 20 million today in India with no, no guardian and no home. That's an injustice. There are 785 million people as of this morning globally that don't have regular access to clean drinking water. There are thousands of kids across America stuck in state care waiting for a family to give them a forever home. That is an injustice. And I think it's important, and I think it's significant that we don't allow ourselves to get wrapped up in a culture war that God never commissioned us to fight. He says, don't, don't fight down here, fight, fight up here. 
because culture flows downstream from the spiritual condition of a nation. We need to stay up here reconciling people to God. If we reconcile people to God, culture will take care of itself. It's appropriate to be disturbed. It's appropriate to be challenged. But at that moment, we will decide. We won't ignore it. We'll do something about it. So David allows the agitation in his spirit to provoke him to do something that nobody was willing to do. In verse 28, when David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? Check this out. I know about your pride. Isn't it amazing that David's older brother is now accusing David of the very thing he himself is guilty of? Because the fact is, David's courage exposed the pride in his older brother. Because proud people are the most intimidated and humble people are the most courageous. Because proud people put their trust in themselves and humble people put their utter dependence on God. And when somebody steps up and stands up with the purity of trust and innocent faith, when somebody stands up with bold vision, they actually expose the religious, ritualistic, dead works of others. When God says, I'm calling you to courage and to bold action. What have I done now, David says in verse 29. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some of the others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. So he's still asking these questions. Verse 31, then David's questions were reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Mark this down this morning. When you continue to ask the right question, you will always find yourself in the presence of the right people. David has literally been on the scene for a matter of moments, and he's already being called into the presence of the king. We were working in Central and South America through the last decade. We started in, in Honduras, and we began to ask the question that Isaiah asked in Isaiah 66, verse 8, can a nation be saved in one day? For six months, I traveled across Honduras, and as a team, we're asking this question. What if all of Honduras could be changed, could be healed, could be saved in one day? Do you know, six months later, we found ourselves in the office of the president, telling him about this vision to see a nation changed in a day called One Nation, One Day. Six, uh, two years later, we went to the Dominican Republic, and we started asking this question for 90 days. What if all of the Dominican Republic could be changed, could be healed, could be saved in one day? 90 days later, we found ourselves in the office of the president of, Hon of the Dominican Republic, telling him about this vision to see a nation changed in a day. When God reassigned us to America this last year, we began to ask the question over Los Angeles. What if we could provide L.A. the greatest display of love it's ever experienced? And we kept asking the question, and without knowing any of these people, in one year's time, we were working with mayors from Compton to West Hollywood. We were working with the greatest faith leaders across Southern California. We were working with uh, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors, the DCFS, pop stars like Justin Bieber, preachers like T.D. Jakes. How many people know when you ask the right questions, you will eventually find yourself in the presence of the right people? I believe God's inviting people in the room to dare to ask for more. He said, call to me. He, he invites you. He said, call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you have never seen. 
I wonder if there's any visionaries in the building this morning. I wonder if there are any rule breakers in the building this morning. I wonder if there are any dreamers in the building this morning. I should say in the tent this morning that will dare to explore where their faith might lead them. Some of you said, man, I felt this curiosity in my heart to go for more, to, to ask him for more, to, to partner with God for more. I, put a, I, I call forth those questions in your spirit. I pray that God would stir those questions in your heart this morning. I pray that you would be bold enough and daring enough to ask those questions because as you ask those questions, you will find yourself in the presence of the right people. When everybody else was intimidated, when everybody else was afraid, David was asking different questions and he was getting different audiences. I believe it's time for us to own this moment in history. It's one of the reasons why I appreciate Pastor Mark and Rochelle. When many people were saying, what would it take to start another local church? Pastor Mark and Rochelle said, what would it take to start a global church? What would it take to have a flagship in Orange County and a major church on every major ocean in the world? When people were, were wondering if they should even open, Pastor Mark was wondering how many uh, services we needed. And when we could get a second campus, how many people are thankful for asking the right questions? Verse 32, don't worry about the Philistine. Now, imagine 16-year-old David, most scholars believe, 16-year-old David telling the king, I'll go fight him. I got this, Saul. Don't be ridiculous, he says. There's no way you can fight. You're a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persists. I've been taking care of sheep and goats. And when lions and bears came, I would go after them and kill them. And the Lord who rescued me from them would rescue me from this one. You have to think at this moment and up until this point, David had probably set the expectations on his future based on the limitations of his father, Jesse. In the previous chapter, when the prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint the future king, his father literally lined up all his boys and didn't even bother to go get David. And even after David had a public anointing ceremony, Jesse still kept him taking care of sheep. He still asked them to be an errand boy, to take supplies to the older brothers. And David, at some point in the journey, must have thought, this must be all I'll ever be. But all of a sudden, he's eyeball to eyeball with his king, and it all becomes clear. The battles I've been facing were permitted by God to prepare me and to position me for this moment. This changes everything. This will change everything. Even as I was driving to church this morning, I got an email that was not great. And out loud, I just started saying, Father, I thank you that this challenge will serve me. This challenge will bow down and grow me. This challenge will help us. This challenge will take us to the next level. Why do you think Paul, James wrote in James 1, 2, he said, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, somebody shout of any kind. Of any kind. One more time. Of any One more time. Of any Last time. Of any he said, when troubles of any kind come your way. Check this out. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Because these troubles are working for you. He said, so you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. 
And when it grows, you'll be fully developed. You will be complete, needing nothing. I want to remind you this morning that whatever challenge stands between you and you stepping into the fullness of God's plan for your life, whatever challenge, whatever resistance, whatever roadblock sits in front of you stepping into your purpose, whatever adversity has emerged to intimidate you and dare you not to take another step, you look back that thing right in the eyes and say, you will serve me. Three things this challenge is going to do. Number one, it's going to mature you. David said in Psalm 119, 71, it was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. Even the book of Hebrews says Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Craig Rochelle said this week in his leadership podcast, which I highly recommend, growth and comfort never coexist. I'll say that one more time. Growth and comfort never coexist. First thing it's going to do is mature you. Second thing it's going to do is reveal you. The challenge in front of you today is going to force your unrealized potential. It's going to put a demand on the potential you didn't even know you had. I would dare say the giant in front of you is permitted by God in part to awaken the giant within you. The giant in front of you was allowed by God to introduce you to your real self. You didn't know how strong you were. You didn't know how courageous you were. You didn't know how persevering you were. You didn't know how powerful you were in God. You didn't know that you were hidden in Christ in God and that this thing will reveal you. It will, number one, mature you. Number two, reveal you. Thirdly, it's going to elevate you. I want you to think promotion, think influence, think impact. You thought this struggle was the end. You thought this struggle was set out to destroy you. It was set out to reposition you. And your life will never be the same again. I want to tell you today, this changes everything. Say it with me one more time. This changes everything. Verse 37, Saul finally consents. He says, all right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor. For me, this has always been the most tragic phrase in the entire passage. Of all the men in Israel, God had hand-selected Saul to be king. God had positioned Saul to lead the nation in battle. God had given Saul that armor to fight. And Saul literally takes the armor given to him by God himself and throws it on the teenage boy and says, you go fight my battles for me. And when you relinquish your authority, when you shy away from the battle, what should have been your battle and your reward gets given to somebody else willing to fight. This was the day God tore the kingdom of Israel from Saul and gave it to David. I thought about how many men have been commissioned by God to be the spiritual covering of their home. And they take the armor that God gave them and they throw it on their wife and they say, you take the kids to church. You lead the kids spiritually. You pray uh, for, for our home. I remember one night I was rocking uh, my son Mason to sleep when he was about nine months old. And I found myself just praying for him. And I said, Lord, would you just bless my son Mason? Would you just bless my son? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, no, Dominic, you bless him. 
And I immediately knew what he was saying. He was saying, Dominic, as a spiritual covering of your home, you've been commissioned by me to bless your children and your children's children. Now multiple nights a week, I place my hand on his head and, and all my kids and say, Father, I thank you that you're blessing the work of his hands. I thank you that he'll know your voice at a young age. I thank you that he will be highly successful. I thank you that he will walk with you all the days of his life. I thank you that no evil will come upon him. I thank you, Lord, that the blessing of the Lord and the favor of the Lord goes before him and behind him and beside him. Somebody say, don't give up your armor. David says to the Philistine in verse 45, now he's face to face with the giant. He says, you come to me with the sword and the spear and the javelin. We're just going to read a little scripture. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. He's still ticked off. He insulted God's people. He said, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. In the Old Testament, we actually literally had to kill people. In the New Testament, we recognize we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So people are actually never our enemy. It's the spirit behind them. So even when people rise up against us, we love them, we bless them, we forgive them, and we fight in the spirit. But notice what's so beautiful. When David is pressed, what comes out of him? See, when we're pressed... We've got to let our spirit get calibrated automatically to the promises of God. David is pressed and he can't help himself with he will never leave me or forsake me. He will always fight for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. If God be for me, who can be against me? As you're being pressed, don't calibrate to your flesh. Don't calibrate to your insecurity. Don't calibrate to your fear. Calibrate to his promises. Let that be what you run to. Let that be what you hold on to. Let that be what comes out of your mouth. Let your wife hear it. Let your children hear it. Let your friends hear it. Let your coworkers hear it. Let your family hear it. Let the word of God, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God flow out of your spirit until it becomes infectious, until it becomes contagious, until faith fills the atmosphere. Man, does anybody have a David spirit in the building this morning? I'm just going to keep calling it the building by faith. We'll accelerate the occupation behind us. Some people are nervous with the current climate. You know who I'm thankful is not nervous? Jesus. In fact, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. His next words were, so panic and hide, right? He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. As we gather in church in Irvine, November 2021, King Jesus' posture is not one of pacing in heaven. Like, oh my God, what are we going to do? There's mandates and there's maybe a reset happening in 10 years. And what, what is the church going to do? 
The Bible says that when Jesus died, he went to hell, took the keys of hell, rose from the dead, held the king in his, keys in his hand, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I give you the keys and say, go and make disciples of nations. If, if people are wondering what we're going to do, we're going to do what we always did. We're going to love people. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to make disciples. We're going to run to the hurting. We're going to heal the brokenhearted. Verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran to meet him. Somebody say, run to the resistance. I'm reminding you today, this is not a season of retreat or diminished expectations. This is a season of outrageous expansion for your life, outrageous expansion for your church, outrageous expansion for your family. From the first century up until now, the church has continued to thrive. What does the church do in crisis? We thrive. What does the church do in prosperity? We thrive. What does the church do under Republican leadership? We thrive. What does the church do under Democrat leadership? We thrive. What does the church do in Texas? We thrive. What does the church do in the great state of California? We thrive. What does the church do in underground China? We thrive. What do we do in socialist Nicaragua? We thrive. What does the church do regardless of external circumstances, regardless of giants? We thrive. Somebody say run to the resistance. I want to remind you the political structures of this earth cannot, will not ever stop the mission of the church. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistines with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Verse 52, then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout and rushed after the Philistines chasing them. The people in your world, the people in our world are waiting on your courage to inspire their future. The church, without fear of death, with eternity alive in our hearts, is going to keep the world on its feet. It's going to keep the world wondering and, 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 and puzzled and astounded. How are we in such peace? How are we in such joy? How do we have such confidence? How do we have such assurance? Because eternity is alive in our hearts. The world around us is actually waiting for our courage to inspire their future. I genuinely believe this morning there are people that the enemy's been whispering, this is going to finish you. This is going to stop everything. And God reminds you this morning, not only will this not finish you, this will serve you. In fact, this battle changes everything. It changes everything. Whatever comes against you, be of good cheer, he says, because it's the working perseverance. And that perseverance is going to make you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The battle in front of you is going to mature you. It's going to reveal you. It's going to elevate you. Would you stand to your feet all across the room?
some in the room have been agitated in your heart by a certain injustice. You're carrying a legitimate burden from the Holy Spirit, a, a passion. I pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to magnify and grow that burden until it provokes you to do something that maybe few are willing to do. There are people under the tent this morning that you've been timidly asking the questions that maybe nobody else around you is willing to ask. Maybe nobody else around you thought to ask. Let your curiosity run. Dare to explore the possibilities in God. Dare to imagine the impossible. We often say we don't even believe God gets involved in the possible because it doesn't require him. God is waiting for somebody who will partner with him for the impossible, something that requires him. Would you lift your hands with me all across this place today? I actually felt to do something that we didn't do in the first service, something that's been symbolic throughout scripture. It's often an expression of faith. It's an expression of trust. It's an expression of hope. But once David's victory inspired a nation, the Bible said all of Israel began to shout. And in a moment, we're going to shout under this tent. And I'm not going to tell you how long to shout. I'm not going to tell you how loud to shout. I'm just going to ask you to shout proportionate to your faith that God is with you. I'm going to ask you to shout proportionate to your conviction that this will change everything. That this thing that's been sent to oppose you and stop you and distract you and diminish you will reposition you, will elevate you, will reveal you, will mature you. So I'm going to ask you from your heart, maybe you not used to a church environment that would shout but God's people from Genesis to Revelation shout in fact the Bible actually says shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph God says the victory is yours the battle is mine so on the count of three oceans let us shout a shout of faith one two three this morning your fears left as you shouted this morning your insecurities took a back seat as you shouted this morning your own weaknesses became irrelevant as you shouted this morning we anchor our hope and our trust in a God who never changes 
as we shouted this morning, we say, Lord, we thank you that the thing in front of us will change everything in the name of Jesus. Father, let me, let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every man, every woman, every father, every mother, every child, every teenager, every college student. Lord, the enemy has been running the same play for all of time. He's been trying to get us to doubt God. He's been trying to get us to identify and inventory our own weaknesses. He's been trying to get us to be afraid or intimidated. But Father, I pray that an outrageous conviction like David had would fill our hearts. That an unwavering trust, that an unwavering hope would fill our hearts. Lord, that we would leave church, that we would step into this next season running to whatever would come in front of us, knowing that you are with us and that you are for us. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Let's praise and worship him this morning.
we would not want to close any Sunday service like this and not give people an invitation and an opportunity that may not know Jesus personally, that may not be able to say with absolute confidence when they die, they know they're going to heaven. The scripture says that all have sinned and that our sin separates us from God. There's not a perfect person that ever lived. We've all made mistakes and our mistakes separate us from God. God is holy, God is perfect. But our Father God sent His Son Jesus to not only die, but to take the price of our sins when He died. And the Bible says when He rose from the dead, He broke the power of sin over our life and gave us the ability to be completely new and free. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was so powerful, it actually removes our sin from the memory of God. The Bible says he actually remembers our sin no more. And you might say, Dominic, you don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know how bad I've been. You don't know how far I've journeyed. It's never too far that the blood of Jesus can't bring you back, can't make you new. In fact, the Bible says when you come to Christ, he doesn't improve you, he doesn't repair you, he actually makes you brand new. Whether you've never given Jesus that position of leadership in your life or if you once did but you've walked away, let's seize this moment right now. With every head bowed, with the eyes closed, if you say that that is me you're describing, I want you to include me in the prayer. I want to realign myself with Christ. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to leave church knowing I have the confidence of eternal life within me. If that's you, just lift your hand up and put it back down real quick. We want to, God bless you. We want to pray with people. God bless you in the front. We want to, God bless you in the back. One more moment. If that's you, lift it up. Lift it up confidently. Include me in the prayer. Two more people. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray with these who have lifted their hands. Say this after me, church. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying and rising from the dead so that I could live. I repent of my sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. From this day forward, my life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.